Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. This podcast is inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Welcome, friends, back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Today, we get to sit back and listen to something really great. I'm going to keep this introduction incredibly short because let me tell you something. What you're about to hear, I promise you, if you allow it, it'll change your life. It will change your life, my friends. I got to watch John speak at the Focus Conference last year, and I watched him speak to you know over 10,000 kids, and everybody just sat there quiet. You could hear a pen drop with every word that he said because every word was just, it was inspired. I mean, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. John O'Leary is our guest today. John O'Leary, at the age of nine, was involved in a house fire and happened in his garage. He'll talk a little bit about that, but it burned 100% of his body, 100%. And he was given a 1% chance to live at the age of nine, that little boy. He did live, my friends. He lived and he lives today and inspiring us in so many different ways. John O'Leary is a number one national best-selling author with the book On Fire. His podcast, which is called Live Inspired, and you definitely want to subscribe to that one. Live Inspired podcast is number 18 in iTunes business. He is doing wonderful things, friends. He is doing so many things and speaking and inspiring people to overcome adversity and to really live the life Christ is calling them to live. He has spoken to, I mean, huge clients. Like he's spoken to events with Lego and Southwest Airlines, Microsoft, Pepsi, and the St. Louis Cardinals. And on top of all of that, there's a special fun connection that we have because John and I both live in St. Louis. So we're both very big Cardinals fans. And he is a very large Cardinals fan for more reasons than just living in St. Louis Cardinals during the probably darkest time of his life when he was involved in that fire, there was somebody from, someone from the St. Louis Cardinals that came to his aid and just changed his life. I'll let him share that story, especially if you're a baseball fan, you're going to really enjoy this. And if not, it doesn't matter if you're a human, you're going to enjoy this. So I'm just not going to, I'm not going to talk anymore. This doesn't need any more of an introduction. John O'Leary, my friends, get ready to be inspired. friends. Welcome back to the podcast and welcome Mr. John O'Leary. Leah, it is an honor to be on your show. So uh, I I view you as a role model for me and and my kids and my family. So to be on your podcast is a great joy. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, I was just recently on your podcast, not that long ago. You were and I'll brag for you. It was the most listened to and celebrated podcast we've done. And we brought on some phenomenal guests in the past, and yet none of them have had, have had the traction and the impact that you had talking about your story. Oh, praise and, God. And how God's using your story and the impact that it had on you and then what it means for all of us. So, Leah, it's a great pleasure to not only share your story with our community, but now to you know meet some of the friends that you hang out with in your community. Oh, my God. Praise God. I, okay. For the record, I did not know that information before I asked him about the podcast. I was just saying, yes. hey, it was cool to be on John's podcast, but that's awesome. Praise be to God that... She was fishing for compliments. That's totally your style. <laughs> it is. I'll send you the check in the mail. So, okay. So I am... The first time that I got to actually 
watch you live was at the Seek 2017 conference with Focus. Mm-hmm. And I was mesmerized. I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. And then I'm looking at the audience and then I have friends in the audience who are texting me being like, what is happening right now? Like, <laughs> what is happening right now? It was phenomenal. That presentation that you gave and what you shared was so phenomenal, phenomenal that I just, I would love to capture tiny pieces of that and share that with our listeners today. Because mm-hmm. John, your story, your story is, I can only imagine what this might sound like to you because I know your story, but it's a gift. I mean, what yeah. a gift it is. And I, can only imagine how you could wrestle with that in your mind of the things that you've been through of literally being on fire and everything that's happened since. And yet all of this is still this gift that you give to all of us. Well, and I appreciate, I really do appreciate you saying that. The, the, what keeps me humble and hungry and on point is that none of my story has almost anything at all to do with me and how great I am. It's about a little boy who makes a big mistake And yet, through God's grace, people keep showing up. And even today, they keep showing up three decades later. Without them and without him, you and I aren't on this call. And so I I can brag on that story. That's one that's worthy of being celebrated and shared. Amen. Amen. Praise be to God. I I do feel the same way in terms of when I share my witness, because it's really me that kind of makes it all pretty pathetic, but it's God's love and mercy that really just makes it a you know, a home run of a story. Just like yes. you can celebrate something bigger than you. And that's when you you know you've you kind of touched upon some piece of greatness. Well, so I wanted to talk a little bit about you had mentioned that like you had made this mistake as a kid. Can we kind of start there? And can you kind of like lay out a little bit of what really happened when you were you were 10? Is that correct? Yeah, almost 10. I was nine and Leah about a week before the mistake. And you know, we all make mistakes. We're all very, very, very broken people. We're all desperately in need of salvation. That, that's just a fact. Whether we want to deal with that or not, it is a fact. I'm nine years old. I see a little fire and gasoline. I'm curious myself. And I figure if they can do this and get away with it, so can I. And so on a Saturday morning, January 17th, 1987, I walk into mom and dad's garage. They're both out. Come over to a can of gasoline. The plan is to pour just a tiny safe amount of gasoline on top of the flame. You know, little, little boys are just crazy and curious before the liquid came out of the container, the fumes. And Leah, we could rift on this one for a while because in life, it's very seldom the liquid that burns us. Almost never. It's always the fumes. It's always the fumes. It's what we don't see coming. It's what we don't talk about. It's what we don't have the courage to whisper about. That's the stuff that burns us. And on this day for me, it's the fumes of gasoline created a massive explosion, split the can in two, picked me up, launched me 20 feet against the far side of the garage and quite literally set my world on fire. Mm. So everything just goes up in flames. Yeah. I mean, the, the garage immediately goes up in flames. I'm covered, saturated in gasoline. I'm a flame. The, the room is a flame. I don't know what to do. I'm scared. I, you know, I, I know I'm in trouble with my mom and dad. So I just remember taking off running through the fire back into my mom and dad's house. They're gone. I ran through the kitchen, the family room, into the front hall, stood on top of a rug, just burning and screaming and begging for a hero. I remember clearly praying for a hero. And then I see my brother Jim racing toward me. He was 17 uh, when I was burned. And as I see my brother Jim, my first thought is, 
of all the things that he's done for me, this guy has always been a jerk. He's my older brother. He's never been nice to me. <laughs> so my prayer on January 17th, 1987 was anybody else, you know, not, not this guy. I need a hero. I need someone who knows what to do here. And yet, Leah, this is his day to change in some regards to be redeemed and to become, a, like Matthew Kelly might say, a better version of himself. He raced past me. He picked up a rug. He began beating down the flames. It took him two minutes. He burned himself in the process. But that boy, age 17, saved my life. He called 911, helped carry me out to the ambulance. And I still, 30 years later, look up to my brother, Jim, as my hero. I'll see him tonight for dinner, in fact. Oh, I mean, it's so hard to fathom this happening. I mean, with an innocent mistake, accident, I mean, you know, and then seeing your brother. Now, I mean, John, excuse me for asking such a dumb question, but like in these moments of you running around, I mean, did the pain intensify to a point that like you couldn't think anymore or had it not quite set in? I mean, how was that physically for you? So... I'm sure we've all been rollerblading and then we fall or on a bike and then we fall or up in a tree and then we fall. And then your first thought is, I need to get up. So you pop up, you realize I'm still alive. And then like a moment later, you look at your arm and it's completely crooked. Or you look at your knee and oh my, there's a gash on your knee. You don't even feel it at first. You just know like it's all wrong. And then you realize it's more isolated than your arm or your knee or whatever. I just remember as a child knowing that everything was wrong and not having a clue specifically what that even meant. People say, did you feel the pain? Kind of. I kind of felt the pain. What I remember distinctly is seeing red and orange things in front of my face and having no clue what they were. Looking back on it, it's the fire. It's on my chest. It's on my belly. It's on my arms. It's on my legs. It's everywhere around me. I'm within it. I'm the source of it in some regards. And I wasn't even sure that I was on fire. I just knew it was wrong. And sometimes in life, and you know, this isn't a scripted conversation you and I are having. I've never said this before. Sometimes in life, it takes someone else to show us what's wrong. You know, like it's very hard for us to look in the mirror and really see where we are damaged. We sell all the stuff that doesn't actually matter. You know this clearly. Mm -hmm. We see the stuff that doesn't really matter. We need sometimes people who can speak truth into our lives, reminding us what does, what is broken and how it can be fixed. And my brother, Jim, in no small way, was that individual for me as a nine-year-old boy. So in your book, and I'll add all this in the show notes of like where you can get John's book on fire. It's the seven choices to ignite a radically inspired life. We'll get to that in a little bit. But in the book, though, There is a piece in there that before we had started our interview, I told you, I don't know if I can get through (laughs) talking about without crying myself, but there's a piece, it's in chapter three, and there's a subsection that you have, and it's called holding on. And this is after you've already been taken to the hospital and your family is reunited, your brothers and sisters, your mom and dad, and everybody is there, many more people. And it was your sister, Amy, that has this really amazing moment and what she says, and then what you end up sharing in the book. Um, I want to talk about that. But can you, could you possibly kind of tell us a little bit of that interaction between your dad and Amy and you? There's so much there. It's so intense and it's so beautiful. And by the way, my sister Amy in particular, she loved your podcast. So she'll be thrilled to hear that her name is getting a shout out now <laughs> on your podcast. Hi, Amy. So Amy, Amy O'Leary Geraci in Austin, Texas. We, we love you yes, uh, we as do. a woman. And as a little girl, so she's 11. 
I'll back into it by sharing what happened and then what happened later on in the ER. What happened after my brother Jim put out the flames is he wrapped me in the rug. He carried me outside. It's lightly snowing, kind of um, like a marshy ground at that point. Throws me on the ground, jumps on top of me, and tries to suffocate the remaining flames. He then runs back into a burning house, gets the siblings out of his house, and calls 911. Well, while he's doing all this, my little sisters start making their way out of their house. There's two at home that day, my sister Amy and my sister Susan. Amy comes outside of the house, and I'll get emotional just thinking about it, but I remember seeing behind her, the house is a flame, smoke coming out of the doorways and through the windows, and this little, beautiful 11-year-old comes out in her nightgown barefoot. It's miserable outside, and it's cold, and she's scared, and she's looking at something that is graphic, and no one in their right mind could ever prepare for seeing their little brother naked and completely burned in the front yard of their burning house. Like, that's not something you ready yourself for. And yet this little girl comes out into it. She sees me by myself, like we all are in life. And this wonderful little gal comes right over to me through my tears. She walks right over, puts her arms around me. She pulls me close. And she says to me, John, everything's okay. <laughs> everything's, everything's fine. Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. <laughs> you know, here I am burned up in the front yard, naked in a snowstorm. And my 11-year-old sister is holding on to me saying, everything's okay. Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come, which in and of itself is enough. But yeah. she sees my father later on that day in the emergency room. And she says to him, Dad, John felt so hot when I was holding on to him that I was sure I was burning my arms. And then she said, and he felt so fragile. I was so afraid he was just going to crumble. And then she adds, but dad, I never let go. I never let go. And I think that is so awesome to be burning yourself, to be concerned that someone is crumbling into your hands, into your midst, and to refuse to let go. Because the world wants to let go. The world wants to do what's easy and what's popular. And this wonderful 11-year-old does what is not easy, what is not popular, what is searing her own arms, what is burning through her nightgown. It's painful for her, but in some regards, it's the beginning of me being healed. Ugh, it's the, I mean, I'm crying right now, <laughs> crying <laughs> right. Right now on this podcast. I mean, Amy is just, I read this in the book and I was like, oh my gosh, this Amy, <laughs> I mean, Saint Amy here, I am, she's like one of my heroes. I cannot help but take her story and take what she said and what she did and think about just, you know, relating it back to Christ. And I think of so many different moments when Christ calls us to be close to him. And sometimes it's painful and it's difficult. Okay, John. So I wanted to talk about like Amy's role there. When I, when I hear that story, when you share it, which you know, I can't help but I'm like wiping snot from my nose and tears. <laughs> I mean, I'm just a mess over here. And every time I reread this piece in the book, I'm just like, I can't let go of this piece of your story in your life. Yes. Because for me, like I'm listening to this and I love what you wrote in here about it. In the book, the book On Fire, you wrote, at a critical moment when I wanted to die, she held on to me. She refused to turn away. She refused to let go. I mean, hmm. I, I can't help but uh, I get emotional thinking about it. I can't help but think that that is the dynamic of the relationship of God and us that, you know, 
Amy was carrying through and acting in that relationship of God and how God holds on to us, even when things are terrible, even when we feel abandoned, even when we feel alone, even if our whole world or even our very selves are on fire, God's holding Mm. on to us and he's holding on and he's not letting go. And (laughs) I know for me, at least in my life, it's not ever that God's abandoned me. It's always that I've abandoned that embrace. And I just, I read that story. I listened to that story from you and your sister, Amy, and I just think her embrace and her words, I mean, that is the hand of God. Right on. I so agree with everything you're saying. And and the similarity in some regards between a little 11-year-old girl and the author of life himself. It's, it's a crazy connection, but it's a true one. It's a realistic one. And I appreciate you bringing that forward. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you know what? Wow. Just a quick thank you to Amy. A quick thank you to your sister, Amy. Thank you for being such an inspiration to your brother. And I am an older sister. And I hope one day if I'm ever asked to do something as heroic as you did, that I could, I could do that. But I just wanted to take a quick moment just to thank you, yeah. sister, because she's just, that is so she's inspiring. Awesome. She is awesome. <laughs> she is there's, awesome. There's two pieces that I think are worth noting just quickly. Number one is she wasn't asked to do it. You know, it's like you mentioned, if someone ever asked me, if I'm ever called and there was no ask, there was no call. She just saw it and she took it. And I think there's a lesson there for us siblings and spouses and parents and teachers and priests and community. To not always feel like we have to be invited or asked, but sometimes to be bold enough to lead forward and to love forward. So that's something Amy taught me. And the second thing, Leah, is the day I was burned, I wanted to die, quite literally. I wanted my real ask of Amy was to go back into the house and to get a knife so that she could finish me off. As a nine-year-old boy, the pain was just too much. And this little girl not only refuses to acknowledge and take action the way I want her to, what she says to me is as important as what she does for me. She, she looks me in the eyes as an 11-year-old and then very firmly says to me, John, shut up. John, <laughs> shut up. Have faith and fight. The best is yet to come. Just shut up already. And sometimes in life when we are so low, like I was and like I've been many times subsequently, we do need those true sayers to come into our life to not only hold us and you know, have a beer with us or drink tea with us or have cake with us, but to also be real with us. You know, shut up, Leah. You're beautiful. Get over yourself. You got three healthy. You're lucky. See it. And, uh, you know, a a false friend can't say that, but a true friend can step alongside of you and say that and you will hear it. And what a gift that is to have a relationship like that in our lives and what a gift it is to be that relationship for those around us. It reminds me so much of the tactic that Mother Teresa took in all of her life. Um, that's how she would respond to a lot of people with that type of way about her, her confidence in knowing the truth and knowing Christ, and then just speaking plainly and bluntly to those right. around her. And and she, because she didn't have time as much to uh, just coddle people. She spoke truth. She loved them right. sincerely. And then she moved on. And it, it's we need those people in our life. now. Talking about the people in your life that have kind of helped you and moved you forward during this and just, I mean, unbelievable time. And I have to briefly mention this piece because we are both from St. Louis and I know we're both very big St. Louis Cardinals fans. And so a lot of people might not know this, but if you are in the baseball world, you would. But you have an interesting 
an interesting person walked into your life that really made a difference. And I, I just, I'm flabbergasted by it. It's amazing. So could you tell a little bit about who that is and kind of what he did? Oh, I will give you the cliff note version and encourage your listeners to, uh, to after they're done with listening to all of your podcasts, to check out a, a, a story done by Major League Baseball called Jack and the Kid. So if you Google that, the story is going to come up. It is just so beautifully told. If you don't cry during that, you're not human and you need to stop listening to podcasts and, <laughs> and, and find your heart. It's an incredible story. But what the story shares is the story of an, an announcer, old famous radio announcer named Jack Buck, who heard the day I was burned through several connections that a little boy named John O'Leary was burned in a house fire. The following day, this man, and by the way, I'm a huge Cardinals fan, which means I'm a huge Jack Buck fan, the voice of the Cardinals. This guy comes into my room. And it, it would be one thing to see him, like that would be enough to be awesome. But what makes the story even more beautiful is that I'm in a hospital bed, I'm strapped down, tied down, hands and legs, can't move. I'm on a trach, which means I can't speak. And my eyes are swollen shut, which means I can't see. But I can feel and, and fear and dream and pray and hope and hear. And that I hear the voice of my hero, Jack Buck, come into my life and to say something to the effect of kid wake up. You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. And he leaves Leah. He's told by the doctors and the nurses that the little boy is going to die, that there is no reason for hope. And this busy announcer comes the following day into a hopeless, in quote, situation believing that, that God still speaks and still works miracles and he can become part of someone else's. He shows up the following day and he says the words into my darkness, kid, wake up. You are going to live. Makes the promise of John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. And these visits and this most unlikely friendship continues to unfold over the next five months that I'm in hospital. This busy guy made time for an insignificant little guy named John. Oh my God. I, it, it, that's, I mean, I love this story. I could listen to this same story. I could hear you say it over <laughs> and over every day. I could wake up to it and be like, oh, this is so good. So good. <laughs> and the, the video that you're talking about, Jack and the Kid, I'll add that in the, uh, show notes. Awesome. So, so it'll be right there available for you to watch. And you should. It's, uh, I've, I've seen it many, many times, but you should definitely watch it. It's a great one. What Jack does, what Jack Buck does, what I just a little piece that I want to bring up really quickly because I just think this is so interesting of what he does as you do progress and you do start to get better. And which, okay, I have so many thoughts right now. I'm going to stop and pause myself <laughs> and go back to one more because I just think it's super important and it hit me. And I'm going to go back to it. When the hospital, when whoever it is, the, you know, nurses or doctors or whatever, and I understand why they're saying it based on the outcome, based on their test or what they normally yes. see but that there is no reason to hope. Like yeah. that is so rough to hear. And if you're a Christian, that goes against everything we believe, right? Because there's always hope. And, you know, even if death comes, which it will come to all of us, there's still hope, right? Yes. I mean, we don't hope in just the crucified Christ. We hope in the risen Christ who yes. rose from the dead. There, I mean, Christ died for us and he also rose for us. So I just, to me personally, when I heard that phrase, and I understand totally why it was said and the reason behind it and that it's got a lot of truth to it, but there's always hope. There's always hope. And, well, and uh, to tie in what you're saying, even back to Jack, this phenomenal figure in my life, and in some regards, an incredible example for each of us 
when he leaves the room the first day, Leah, he leaves in tears. I mean, the, the, he's a tough war veteran, Purple Heart recipient, man's man, famous celebrity who just left this room weeping, which we can say, oh, what a weakling. You know, poor Jack. Why can't he pull himself together, man? Muscle up a little bit. But I think it shows his humanity. I think as we hear this story, I mean, clearly there's a tie to Christ. There's a clear example of the living, breathing version of, of the living Christ among us in the form of Jesus. You know, by the way, Christ is not his last name. Jesus was the way he showed up on earth. But the, <laughs> the author of life has been around long before Jesus showed up and will be around long. I mean, it's Christ. It is, it's the word, man. And it wept. My favorite verse in scripture is also the shortest verse in scripture. It's simple. Jesus wept. His buddy died. There's people mourning. His buddies are behind him. The ladies are in front of him. And they're saying, where were you? You could have stopped this. And he weeps, even though he knows what's about to happen. He knows Lazarus is going to remove those grave garments and come out of the tomb. He weeps. It just shows his humanity. And I, I think there's something so beautiful about what Jack did. And there's something so beautiful when you look back at John and you read it and you see what Jesus did. He wept and then he raised. Amen. So talking about on the note of raising, Jack Buck, that's a little bit of a role he had in your life, especially at that time, (laughs) is helping you rise. Can you tell us, I love this part of the story when you, when what he does with the baseballs. Could you share a little bit about that? (laughs) Yes. Story. So we did have John O'Leary date the ballpark. And that evening, as much as we partied and celebrated the Cardinals win in the bottom of the ninth inning, he also noticed that this little boy may have a big, goofy grin on his face, but he had no fingers. I was in a wheelchair. I had scars and still do have scars from my neck to my toes. So he sees a a lot that's wrong. But he also realizes, like you have been suggesting, there is reason for hope. So this man takes it upon himself to do the next best thing. A couple days after I leave his side, my mother goes out to the mailbox and there's a baseball. Signed by a Cardinal player named Ozzy Smith. Below the ball was a note from Jack that read, Kid, if you want a second baseball, all you've got to do is sign a thank you letter to the man who sent the first. You know, two days previously, he'd been with me. He knew I could hold nothing. What a jerk. But he also realizes that this little kid needs a little bit of a kick in the pants and a little bit of motivation in his heart, like we all do, by the way. He knew that maybe that's enough to have me audaciously grab a pen with the help of a couple therapists, write a note, and he was right. I wrote a note to Ozzy, mailed it off, chicken scratch, and a couple days later, I got a second baseball that read, kid, if you want a third, all you've got to do is write a thank you letter. This game goes on all summer, 1987. By the end of it, Leah, this little boy named John that no one's ever going to hear of again. It's not like he's doing this. For a future best-selling author or a presenter or a podcast host or a guy who might find love and have four kids and then tell those little ones the story, in all likelihood, let's be real honest, this dude is damaged goods. I'm in a wheelchair. I'm scarred and, according to the world, pretty ugly. I mean, just kind of damaged goods. Jack's giving because he realizes that there's possibility of redemption in all of our lives, and he can become part of it for someone else. That's awesome. He has no idea what's going to come out of my life, but he knows, hey, I bet I can get him to write, and he's, he's correct. I wrote 60 thank you letters. I now have 60 baseballs at home. I went back to grade school, went on through high school and college, have lived a charmed life in no small part because Jack Buck has been so instrumental in reminding me to, to get out of the boat in some regards, to quit making excuses and to walk forward. I mean, I mean, 
from writing thank you notes to writing literally a number one national bestseller, there's a lot of life in between there that obviously we can't get to in a podcast. And rightly so, our lives should not be summed up in a podcast for the love of God. <laughs> Let's hope that's the case. Right. Um, but if, if like 11 minutes in, you run out of questions, I'll realize, wow, man, I, I got to do something bold. I'm going right. to go on a walk. Our, our lives are pretty empty if you can't figure it out in podcasts. That, but with all of that, all that going on, I mean, what you do now, you obviously, you have your podcast, you have, you're an author. I mean, you're a speaker. You speak all over constantly. Your website's John O'Leary Inspires. You can find out a million and one things about John speaking, his podcast, his blogs. And But I wanted to ask you, because you're somebody who obviously now... You share this story to inspire others to live bravely and to be courageous in their life and to live a life with purpose that all of us have something to add and to contribute to the world. And it reaches, I mean, just millions of people that message is needed. But I want to ask you some things really quick as we before we wrap up. But Mm -hmm. okay, so I have this idea that people who are very inspiring to me, um, you being one of them are... Like, I feel like that they have like some secret that they're not sharing sometimes. <laughs> like, like, what do you do? So I want to ask you, this might sound weird, but like, what's your morning routine? And I ask about it because I find out that what people usually do within the first few hours of their day really navigates the rest of the day and then ends up sometimes yes. the rest of their life. So what does your morning routine look like for you? Awesome. So let me back into the question by first sharing a little bit of, uh, of context. Recently, I was speaking to my next door neighbor who um, he's a financial advisor and his one of his clients learned that that my neighbor is, is neighbors with a guy named John O'Leary. And she goes, oh, my, he's he's a miracle. He's so inspiring. And my neighbor thought to himself, uh, John, like my neighbor is a miracle or inspired. Like I never knew it. <laughs> and so I, I share that not to like to wear the humble hat. The truth is I'm a very ordinary guy. Ask my wife if you don't believe my neighbor. Ask my wife. Ask my kids. I think sometimes we put others on too high of a pedestal. I bet those who really knew Mother Teresa, they knew they knew her shadows, were a little bit less impressed by her than those of us who just know of her impact because they've seen her, man. They know her faults. They know her mistakes. And my neighbor and my wife know my many faults and my many mistakes. And it's, it's a long list. So I, I'd begin by saying I, I'm an ordinary guy, the pilgrim's journey, trying to do a little bit de- better day after day after day, which I hope we all are on that journey. But to answer your question, man, I wake up, the very first thing I do, and this sounds perhaps trite, but it is, it's my way, is I give thanks. Sometimes that's in scripture. Sometimes it's in reflection through the word. Sometimes it's in reading something inspirational, but always it's in tracking physically, meaning journaling today. What am I grateful for? Every morning I ask and answer the question, why me? Why me? And in pausing for a moment before sprinting to the shower and then after the day that's already ahead of me and I can't ever catch up to it, I'm very intentional. Even if I have a six o'clock flight to wake up early enough that I can gather a few minutes just for myself to ask myself, what has God been doing for me lately? And it's crazy. And then the next part of the question is, okay, so what can I do to give back just a tiny bit to my spouse? To my mom and dad, my dad's still got Parkinson's disease that hasn't gone away. To my brother, my four sisters, to my four babies, to our community, to the world, to the marketplace, to the TSA agents that I'll be seeing almost every day, it seems, as I travel around. What more can I do to be the living hands and face and presence of a God that still speaks? I think a lot of folks won't get to know God, Christ, in church. 
until they first see him outside of church. And I, I think we Christians, and I know many of your listeners are Catholics, we leaders, I think we too frequently don't fully understand the power of showing others why we celebrate, why we're different, why we grin, why we forgive, why we provide mercy. It's not because we're good. It's because he's great. And I think when we can model this more frequently through our lives, we will attract. We will attract. And then that can create a movement. It's not having better songs in church. It's not having a priest that delivers a better, stronger homily that will attract people in. It's having the masses begin the movement that say, come and see what I found. Amen to that. God, there's... I could, I could just go on forever on what you just said. That was so good, John. Absolutely. I love that. So basically you give things. That's great. I was just curious if you like ate Wheaties or if you did. Oh, geez, man. You know. Don't talk about my diet. You'll be supremely <laughs> unimpressed. Oh, awesome. Okay. So awesome. I wanted to kind of find out about that. I love it. I love the fact that obviously, and it makes sense. I kind of thought probably, but I just like to hear what other people's routines are in the morning. It's so important that we do acknowledge whose we are. And and it kind of sets the tone for the day. So as we wrap up, I have two more questions for you. I have a question and then I've got, I'm going to ask you to give a challenge to our listeners. So my question for you first, though, before you wrap up, my final question is you go around and you write and you speak and you blog and you do your podcast and you inspire many others by sharing other people's story, by sharing your own lessons you've learned, your reflections, what God has put on your heart to share with others, a variety of different, variety, variety of different things. Yes. but. But what I know, want to know from you is, um, I, John, like, who or what inspires you? Hmm. So we could spend quite a bit of time answering this. I'll begin at home. My wife, her name is Elizabeth Grace Beth, is so beautiful. I like. I, I had coffee with her on the screen porch today. Like, I, I look at her, I'm like, I cannot believe I'm married to this gal. I hope she never figures out who I really am because she, she'll she'll take off sprinting for the exit. <laughs> She's beautiful. Inside and out. I mean, she's really just stunning. And I'm, I'm like so in love with her. And I'm, I've been married to her for almost 14 years. And it's not just her physical beauty. I, I, just, I just love her heart. And I love who she is. And I love what she's all about. And uh, so she inspires me. We have four kids together. The oldest is 11. The youngest is five. They're all about to flip into the next even years. So almost 12, 10, 8, and 6. They inspire me. The way they see life inspires me. I'll share one quick story with you that I, I think in many regards ties into what you're all about, Leah. Eight years ago, I was shaving with my shirt off and my, my whole body is ravaged with scars, but my stomach is particularly burned up, deep, thick red scars. And as I'm shaving in the mirror, my three-year-old Jack is fake shaving next to me. I've given him a little shaving cream and a razor with the, the cover still on it, and he's shaving next to me. And then he looks up and he starts tracking this thick scar on my stomach from the top to the bottom with his index finger. And I'm shaving down, preparing my answer to the question that I know is coming. You know, dad, what's wrong here? And my little boy kind of clears his throat, gets his words ready. And then he says to me, dad, your tummy is red. It's bumpy and it's ridgy. So that, I, that I'm getting ready to respond. But before I oh do, he gosh. says to me, and I love it. Ah. Oh. And I, I think, you know what, so frequently we have built and based the value of our lives on what we think others are thinking about us. And I think if we could see ourselves through the lens of our three-year-olds, or I know a lot of people say, see yourselves the way your dogs think that you are, fine. But regardless of those two perspectives, see yourself the way God perfectly sees you. 
He doesn't make accidents. He makes things perfect. There are no accidents through Christ, man. You're not an accident. Your life's not an accident. The mole on your right cheek or the pimple on your left one, these aren't accidents. It's all part of his master plan, and it's more than enough for you today. I get inspired by my bride, by my babies, but really by pretty ordinary people. I, I Earlier today, I had a cup of coffee downtown at a coffee shop, probably a minimum wage employee named Angelica. She serves me when I go into this place. She knows my name. She calls me Jim. I'm John, but I don't care, baby. I go with it because I, I met my mom there for lunch <laughs> one time. She always asks, how's your mom doing? And she means it. This woman who doesn't have two nickels in all likelihood to rub together is so grateful for what she's got. She inspires me. So Angelica at this little coffee shop downtown St. Louis in the basement of the KMOX studios absolutely lights me up for life. And there's a long list of names right behind her. But people turn me on. I just wish others could see the beauty in their own reflection and the possibility within their own lives. Amen. And that is truly beautiful. John, we are wrapping up here. I'd love for you to give me and uh, the listeners that do something people podcast a challenge. Could you give us a challenge? Make us better? Well, yes. How about this? Jack Buck. I wasn't sure how to go with this, but here we go. Uh, thank right. you, God, for giving me an answer. Jack Buck journaled a question every night of his life called, what more can I do? What more can I do? And it's why he did things he did after he came out of the service in 1945. It's why he wore his purple heart with pride, but also with great humility for all those that did not survive. It's why he went into the career he chose. It's why he grew through the ranks that he grew through. It's why he became the man that he became. It's why he became the servant that he became. It's why he impacted a little boy's life. Because day after day after day, a great guy asked the question, what more can I do? One thing to do today, even better than I did yesterday. My challenge, and I beg your listeners to grab this one and to embrace this challenge, is to journal that question tonight. Think of one thing you can do to be a better spouse, a better partner, a better Christian, a better leader, a better seeker, a better giver, a better lover than you currently do today. One thing to make tomorrow even better. And then if you want to be really bold, extra credit, do it the following night. Keep a journal. Track this. Watch what happens when you track your life as you continually improve to serve those around you. Watch what happens. I told you I journal in the morning. Why me? Well, I journal in the evening. What more can I do? And it's crazy. It is crazy how God will work through your life. So that's my challenge. And I beg your listeners to take me up on the invitation. Oh, I'm pretty sure they will because they're amazing, amazing people, I tell you. And John, I mean, I know I said it already, and, but thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your time with me and all the people here listening to you. And obviously, you do a lot of great things, John. I mean, no one denies that. And there's a lot of accolades that you have to prove that. But regardless of all of those things that you do with the microphone or on the stage or in front of people, I just wanted to tell you as your sister in Christ, like, just thank you for being you. Thank <laughs> you for loving your wife. And thank you for loving your kids. And I just, I'm so thankful that you are you and nobody else. So thank you, John. Amen. And right back at you, Lee. And maybe that's the challenge. Be you guys. Everybody else is taken. That's right. So uh, be you and, and have a blast with it. This gift, this life is a gift. And it's just the first page of the rest of the book. So enjoy this life and get ready for the next. 
Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another amazing episode of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. And you know what I'm going to end with, as I always do, inspired by the words of Mother Teresa, whatever you do today, make sure you do something truly beautiful for the Lord. Thanks. And we'll talk to you soon.